a Bible, we're going to go to Luke chapter 2, and then we're going to go to Ezekiel chapter 46. Luke 2, 42, and Ezekiel 46, 9. Let's start in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 42. If you're there, shout, I am. When he was 12 years old, that's Jesus, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for an entire day. Then they began to search for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? Jesus asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Now come over with me to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 46. And I want to read one verse, and that verse is verse 9. Ezekiel 46, verse 9. It's a race. Who's there? You've beaten me. Verse 9. When the people of the land come before the Lord at the appointed feasts, whoever enters by the north gate to worship is to go out the south gate. And whoever enters by the south gate is to go out the north gate. No one is to return through the gate by which he entered, but each is to go out the opposite gate. When the people of the land come before the Lord at the appointed feast, whoever enters by the north gate to worship is to go out the south gate. And whoever enters by the south gate is to go out the north gate. No one is to return through the gate by which he entered, but each is to go out the opposite gate. You know, in the beginning of the journey of the nation of Israel, God had a plan that he would raise up on the earth a chosen people. He began with one man and his name was Abraham. Abraham set off on this great journey of faith. And from Abraham, he journeyed to the land of Canaan, died not owning any land that was his own and leaving to his child, Abraham left something greater than real estate. He left the promise of God. Isaac was his son. Isaac too dwelt in the land of Canaan, an inheritant of this promise. And then Isaac had two children, Jacob and Esau. Jacob became the possessor of the promise. And he was the first to get busy on this journey of nationhood and had 12 children. One of his children was Joseph. And Joseph was sold into slavery, ended up down in Egypt, second to Pharaoh over the entire kingdom of Egypt. And to him came the other 11 brothers and, and dad. Mum had gone to be with the Lord. And so they came down into the nation of Egypt, where for 400 years, the Israelites lived as slaves 
in the land of Egypt. 400 years of oppression and slavery, but in the time that they were there, they multiplied and grew from a family tribe into the nation of Israel. They went down the family tribe of Jacob, but they came up out of the land of Egypt, the nation of Israel. I want you to understand in every season of our lives, our God is always working. You might feel that it's oppression, slavery, difficulty, but God hasn't forgotten your name. He has never left us alone. He is always working out His eternal purpose. How many people are excited about that this morning? They came up out of the land of Egypt and entered into the wilderness environment. You know the story. They were led by a pillar of cloud by day, fire by night. The Red Sea split in two in front of them and they crossed from one side to the other. They were fed by manna. They were, they, they, their water came from rocks and just an amazing journey of God's blessing in his, the lives of His people. In the wilderness environment, God only intended for them to be there for a matter of months. And His purpose for the wilderness was twofold. Number one, to be a point of journey from Egypt to the promised land. Secondly, to give God some time to speak to His people. When you begin to read the books and see what God spoke to them about, it is very, very important that when you read the book of Leviticus, especially for the young people, you understand it's not just a boring book about lambs and sacrifices and wheat and percentages. It is the birth of nationhood. And the only nation on earth ever to be birthed by God, which is why Israel is so precious in the sight of God. He gave birth to this nation. And when you read what he said to them, it's an amazing thing to read because even though it covers medicine, it covers economics, the majority of what God spoke to them about was their worship. This morning, we're in Sunday number two on a series of messages that I'm doing on the topic of worship. And when the children of Israel came out into the wilderness, God goes through great detail. He said, this is how you are to build my house. The sacrifices were not just sacrifices, they were worship. And God said, come to me in worship, approach me through worship. This will be a people defined by worship. Friends, you and I need to understand this morning that when God calls for our worship, it's not because God needs it. God is not insufficient. He's not sitting up in heaven going, wow, I'm feeling a little discouraged today. Could you get your hand to sing that song just one more time? Oh, thank you. I'm now feeling encouraged. When God calls for our worship, it's not because our worship is good for God. He calls for our worship because our worship is good for us. We began to look at this last Sunday that I was preaching before Easter along the topic that our worship defines our worth. What we worship defines the worth of our lives. What we go after determines what we emulate and what you, we emulate determines our quality of worth. And so if we go after materialism, we are worthless. But if we go after Christ, then we are priceless. Our worship determines our worth. But we find that the children of Israel were birthed as a nation defined by the worship of God, which is awesome because I'm not defined by where I've come from. I'm not defined by my family. I'm not defined by my ethnicity. I'm not defined by my bank account. I'm not defined by my job. I am defined by the God that I worship. 
You are pretty awesome. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're absolutely amazing. Just tell them, you're absolutely amazing. You're made in the image of God. Then the Bible tells us that they approached the land of Canaan, the promised land, this land that flowed with milk and honey. And as they approached it, God gave them a warning. And it's in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 10. He says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe His commands, His laws, and His decrees that I'm giving to you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, and you build fine houses, and you settle down, and when your flocks and herds grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. Notice that here in the 10th verse, God is literally saying, when you have blessing, praise God. Because if you don't praise God, you will forget God and your hearts will become proud and think that somehow you are somehow deserving of His blessing that comes into your lives. I want you to understand, my friends, that the greatest test of any company of people is seen not in their adversity, but in their prosperity. Whether we turn to Him or run towards Him, in, in, run from Him or towards Him in the times of prosperity will define the next stage of our lives. And we find that Israel in the time of their prosperity ran not towards God, but away from God. And this very warning came to pass in their lives and their society continued to degrade as they gave themselves over to the worship of other gods and licentiousness and pride and it's said into their society. And so God said, well, now I have to remove you from my promised land and send you into exile again. Because God says, my people must reflect me. Otherwise, the entire testimony of God on the earth is distorted. I want you to understand, church, that you and I are God's people. We are not the nation of Israel, but we have been grafted into God's vine. And now every single person in this room is called to reflect God. And He still has a promised land for every person. God delights in your prosperity. He wants to do you good. He wants to heal your diseases. He wants, does anybody believe that this morning? Our God wants to bless His people. And He calls for our worship, not because He needs it, but because we need it. Because when we reflect our God, then He can trust us with His blessing. So here we have the nation of Israel loses their worship, and so they lose their inheritance. So a loss of worship leads to a loss of blessing. And they are sold into slavery. And God said, you'll go into slavery until you remember me. And then the Bible says that they began to call again on the name of the Lord their God. When you're reading your Bible, there are numerous books of the Bible that are written while the Israelites were in captivity before they came back to the land of Israel again. And Ezekiel is one of those books. It's an amazing book. I love reading it. It's filled with crazy stuff. 
filled with eyes. And you know, it's like, a, it's like a science fiction or fantasy writer's dream, this book. You've got celestial beings surrounding thrones that are covered with eyes. I mean, it's crazy. Peter Jackson would have a field day with the book of Ezekiel. And then it's got all these promises. You've heard sermons perhaps before on the valley of dry bones, on the fact that God says you may feel at this season because you lost me, that death has come into your life and your hopes have perished and everything is gone. But I'm telling you, I'm about to breathe my wind into a valley of dry bones and what was dead will live again. Is somebody excited about that today? How many people know that God never loses you, never forgets you? No matter how dark our night gets, no matter what judgment comes, God's always delighting in our blessing. And then here we find this incredible verse because again, in the book of Ezekiel, I read this book just recently because I'm reading the Bible cover to cover in 100 days at the moment. It's gonna be about 120, but anyway, I'm doing my best. I've got a busy life. How many people know that? Don't judge me till you try it. But you know, I'm, I'm, I was supposed to be day 100 on Easter Sunday, but you know, we're, we're into the post 100 right now. And you know, in this, in this book of Ezekiel, as I began to read it, I realized that the nation of Israel is now no longer in the promised land. They are effectively in a wilderness again. And again in the wilderness, in the book of Ezekiel, a huge chunk of the book of Ezekiel is devoted to instructions about the house of worship. See, he spoke to them in the wilderness about worship. And in the second wilderness, he spoke to them again about instructions for worship. Sacrifices, festivals, times when you'd come and worship. By the way, our Arise Conference and the life of our church is our festival. It's when we gather together and cease from our work and spend not just with service, but days in the presence of God. Because you need a regular gathering and you need a festival. How many people know that to be true in their own lives? You can get lost in Sundays, but you get anointed in festivals. It's just something about it. And then he says this incredible verse here in verse 9 of Ezekiel 46, that when I read this verse, it jumped off the page at me. I'd never seen it before in all the times I've read the Bible before. But here in this verse of Scripture, God literally says, He who enters by the north gate must leave by the south gate. And he who enters by the south gate must leave by the north gate. So whatever way you come into the temple, you can't leave that way. You've got to leave another way. So if you come in from the north, you've got to leave from the south. And if you enter from the south, you've got to leave from the north. In other words, God is saying, it doesn't matter how you entered, you can't leave the way you came in. Wow, it doesn't matter how you entered the temple. Once you get to the house of the Lord, you cannot leave the place of worship the way that you came in. And man, when I began to read this, I realized that God was speaking to me and speaking to us about our worship, that not only is worship about everything to do with our lives, but worship is about a decision that when you and I approach our God, we spend time in His presence and we cannot leave the way we came in. This changes the way that you and I think about worship, the way we think about coming to church. God is literally saying, this is something to be declared to my people, 
The way you came cannot be the way you leave. If you came in broken, God wants you leaving whole. If you came in sick, God wants you leaving healed. If you came in filled with sorrow, God wants you leaving with joy in your heart. If you came in empty, God wants you leaving full. If you came in proud, God wants you leaving humble. If you came in unbelieving, God wants you leaving filled with faith. He's saying you cannot leave the way you came in. Wow. When I began to realize that, I began to realize that so often in our lives, we, we, have, no, we have no concept of that, do we? I mean, I don't know about you, but it's easy to just be in motions of worship. What we're actually aiming for sometimes is ticks and boxes that the worship is done. Came, did it, left, next thing, done. And that's good because the Bible says we should never forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So I'm not chastising, I'm not telling people off for that. But what I'm saying is God's saying, no, 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 don't miss that. That's good, but here's something better. If you came in by the north gate, leave by the south gate. Don't just aim for attendance, aim for change. Aim for transformation. Aim for something more from God. God's saying from the moment that you enter, you have to look for a different way to go out. My gosh. I spent a lot of time traveling, not this year so much, but you know, most of my life I've spent a lot of time traveling. And I spent a lot of time going into places that I've never been before. And I'm pretty good at navigation, which is good because Jillian's not. I've normally found that in a marriage, it's either the husband or the wife. It's not always, it's not a gender thing, but either you've got a wife who can know everything or a husband who does, but it's very rare that, that the two of them are like born navigators. But in my marriage, it's me. And when we go into places, I, I just automatically begin to look around. I'm never lost in an airport. I mean, I'm in airports all the time. I've been in two in the last 12 hours. But you know, when, when you're wandering around airports and you're thinking about where you're going, or maybe it's a new shopping mall, or maybe you're just here this morning and it's your first time at Arise Church and it's a new environment and you're walking in and as you're walking in, you're like, well, where do I park my car? How do I get across the street? And where do the kids go? All important question, where's the bathrooms? How do I get out of the bathroom? Hello, you know, how do I make it into the service? Where's my seat? And all the time, what we do is we lay down markers. We do, don't we? So we go, no, I, I've just, when you're driving in your car, you tend to think, well, look at what I do is, and this is a good tip for you. Let me help you. All you people who get lost all the time, when, when you're driving down the road, don't look at the road you've turned into. Turn into the road and then look behind you. Because when you're going to make your way out, you're looking at it this way. Not the way you're going in, but the way you're going. So I always look behind me. I always think about, okay, that marker is going to tell me to turn left there. I came down this way. I'm making my way to the lounge. Now I've got to go to my departure gate. I went to this shop, but I've got to get back to my hotel. You know, in parts of the world, the shopping malls are so big. You get lost in there for days. And I'm wandering around. And I always make markers. It's like Hansel and Gretel. I've got to lay my things so that I can find my way back out again. You understand what I'm saying? And what we do, we do this, we do this naturally. This is the way we're wired. It's not bad, but it is the way we're wired. The way we're wired is to do that so that then once we get in there, we can forget about it. So you can just kind of enjoy the moment, switch off from that, and just, you know, wander. And God says, I'm going to do something that's going to put you on your toes. When you come into my temple... The moment you get in, the door you entered by is not an option for you. 
to exit by. So that might be the way that you came in, but you're going to have to spend the whole time that you're there, not just, you know, aimlessly kind of going around, but thinking the entire time I'm there, how am I going to get out? What way am I going to get out of here? In other words, what am I going to get out of being here? And God wants His people to know that the whole time we're in His presence, the whole time we are in worship, He wants us obsessed with one thought. What am I going to get out of being here? How am I going to get out of here different to the way that I came in? He's literally saying you cannot leave the way that you came in. He wants this to be in the forefront of our minds. He wants us in everything about the way that we worship. He wants us to know that we cannot leave the way that we came in. Let me give you some verses. James chapter 1, 23. Anyone who listens to the Word, it's coming up on the screen. It should be. James chapter 1, verse 23. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like a man who comes to, looks at, the, at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing in it, doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. In other words, if you read the Bible and don't apply it, to your life, if you look at it and forget it, if it doesn't affect you, it doesn't change you. And God says, when you open it, it's not just that you open it, it's that when you come to worship, you leave changed by the expression of your worship. Man, then Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. It changes you. You don't open the Bible and remain the same. Your attitudes get adjusted. Your life gets corrected. Your heart is impacted. You realize what's your soul speaking and what's your spirit speaking. Verse 16 of Hebrews 4, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Put it another way. When you're going through the cactus in your life, you can come to God knowing that if you came to Him weak, He can make you strong. That if you came to Him defeated, He can give you victory. If you came to Him feeling despondent, He can give you hope and courage back again. He's saying, when you come to me, you will be changed by your worship. 2 Corinthians 3, 16, and we who with unveiled faces are reflecting His glory. We're being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. In other words, when I come to God and I enter His presence, I stand before the King of glory. And then the Bible says, not only do I stand before the King of glory, but the fact that I stand there is causing an ever-increasing glory in me. I came in gloryless. I leave with glory. I came in one way. I leave another way. You cannot leave the way that you came in. I'm a morning person. Julian is a night person. That's good. It means our children are only in trouble 
between the, eight, between the hours of one and five in the morning. Apart from that, we're doing pretty good in our family for love and, pa- and parental care. But, you know, every morning I get up, normally about 5.30 or 6 o'clock in the morning, I'm, I'm up depending on what time I went to bed and the frequency of how many times I went to bed at that time. Does anyone know what I'm talking about this morning? But between 5.30 and 6, I'm always up. The first thing I do is I go downstairs, I grab my iPad, I turn on the jug, I boil it, I make a big plunger full of coffee, I pour in two big cups full of plunger coffee because you need two in the morning. By the way, by the way, it was monks who discovered coffee because it aided meditation and it works just fine for me in the year 2012. And every believer said, amen. And I, I get my glass of water, my two cups of coffee, I sit down in our lounge, and I pull out my Bible on my iPad and I begin to read it. My goal in reading it is not to tick the boxes of reading it. My goal in reading it, I I used to when I was younger, I was so ambitious. I wanted to learn 20 things, 100 things. Every time I opened the Bible, I was trying to get every verse to become some living word in my life. But then I realized that quickly it was kind of like overwhelming. But now my goal is just one thing. Every day, every day that I approach God and worship, every day, and that every day there's one thing that's going to speak into my life, change my life, that I come to Him and worship, and I will not leave the way that I came in. Oh man. How many people know it's incremental, it's progressive, it's over a process of time, but what you hang around will affect the way that you are. Do you remember the little chalk adverts? Where the, the, it was advertising that detergent stuff that would like clean your clothes, or no, no, that would get to your teeth, help your teeth out. And they had that horrible Australian accent. They had this lady with this piece of chalk advertising this dental cleaner, you know, and she'd put it in the chalk and the thing and she'd go, look, it does get in. Anybody remember that? It does get in. It was the sound of my childhood. It does get in. Say it with me. It does get in. It does get in. Don't you want to slap the TV when that comes on? But every time I think about worship, I find myself remembering that advert. Because I remember that what you spend time in. See, if you dip your life in the Word of God. It shouldn't, you're not Teflon to the Word. God's not looking for Teflon Christians. The Word bounces off you. He's looking for sponge Christians. The Word gets in you. It affects you. It changes you. And God wants believers knowing that our Bibles are not supposed to collect dust on shelves, but are supposed to be used in the purpose of using them. I've read the Bible cover to cover so many times. I've written commentaries. I've memorized books of the Bible, multiple books of the Bible that I have known off by heart. I say have known because they do leak. How many people know that? But I mean, I've devoted my life to the Word of God. But listen, you never get to a point in your life where you read the Bible to share it with other people. You read the Bible. You come to the place of worship to be changed by the moment of worship. You're never beneath it and you're never above it. God is saying, if you enter by the north gate, you better leave by the south gate. And if you enter by the south gate, you better leave by the north gate. But when you come to me, you cannot leave the way that you came in. God has got a plan that every time that we come to Him, we would be changed by it. Coming to church. Anybody 
reckon like me, it's just always the biggest ordeal in the world to get to church. I mean, every school morning, it's like the school clothes you need are in the kids' drawers. But church morning, maybe I'm the only parent who finds this, the, the church clothes you want them to wear are always the ones that are in the bottom of the washing pile. If they magically have been washed, how many people know they're wrinkled, they're at the bottom, you gotta search for them. You, you know, if you're like me, you're in the spare bedroom throwing undies all over the place, trying to get the sheet out of the way, you know, the guest bed stuff gone, just so you can get to the bottom to find the one clean, unstained thing that my five-year-old son has yet to destroy with his gift of destruction on clothing. And that's the one thing I want. And then it's all wrinkled up, you know, and you spent 10 minutes finding it, been yelling at Jillian upstairs. She can't even hear me, but where is it? You know, and then you, you, then you, put the, you, know, then you sit them down for breakfast and then the clothes you've just put on them, they decide this is the morning to share breakfast with them. You know, if you've got, if you've got kids in nappies, it's like you get them looking like an absolute princess. Put them down for three seconds to do your lipsticks, mums. And then the moment you come back to them is the one day that they've pooed so heavy it's gone all up the princess dress. Come on, any mums know what I'm talking about today? You're looking fly, you're ready to go. And it's the one day that you miss the bus and you have to run to the lower hut train station to get the connection to this. Anyone know what I'm talking about? It's the one day that your tire is flat. It's the one day the e-light's on and it's like you're dangerously low on the bar and you're already leaving at 9.50 from Porirua. Anybody know what I'm talking about today? Can I get an amen out there? Then you get to church, you know, and the moment you arrive, kids are running this way and that way and you're trying to put on your Sunday smile, smiling at you. Bless you, brother. You stop that, you know. You're not getting any pocket money. We're not going to McDonald's. Anybody know? I'm just speaking because I've seen this. It's obviously never. I'm a man of God. That doesn't. What, you thought I was meaning me? <laughs> Come on, you know. Then you sign them into the kids' programs and, you know, that's all a palaver. Then you're coming into the service. You're standing there and, you know, it's too hot, too cold. Can't see the loud person in front of you. I mean, behind you. You know, loud people in front of you are fine, but loud people behind you singing off key. You're trying to listen to Natalie, you know, I will exalt you. And the person will go, oh, yeah. <laughs> I turn around, people taking off socks in the middle of worship. I'm like, what's going on? I will... Stop that guy. <laughs> Normally you're telling the sound guy to turn the PA down, but with this guy behind you, you're like, crank it up. I don't care about this. Just drown him out. Come on. You grab your seat at the end of the worship. You just had a text. You're in IT. Another server's just gone down. It's your multi-million dollar client. Anyone know what I'm talking about? There's always something going on because the devil doesn't want this to apply to our lives. He wants, us, he wants us going through motions. 
He wants you reading the Bible and it's like the phone book. He wants you sitting in a church service and you're going through the activity, but your mind is somewhere else and your heart is somewhere else. And the natural default is to leave exactly the same way that we came in. And God's saying, no, if you enter by the south gate, the moment that you get there, you start looking for the north gate. If you came in through the north gate, you start looking for the south gate. Because the north gate could come at any time. It could be you walked in despondent and the very first song has got the word of praise that'll break the chains of heaviness and set your spirit free. And you can leave with a song of praise different to the way you came in. It could be a gentle whisper in worship. That's just the one whisper you needed to give you peace in the middle of your anxiety, just to get you through that season of difficulty. You might have come in restricted and what David has already said and the response you gave to God, that offering is worship. And it could be just the thing you needed that you came in through the north gate and you're leaving through the south gate. It could be in the Word. It could be in any part of the service. But God wants believers coming to His house with an attitude that says, I might be here. I'm here. That's the start. But the way I came in, God says, I can't leave that way. I got to be changed by my time here. You know, when, when, when I'm having my prayer time at home, often it is like reading the phone book. This is encouraging for somebody here. Because it's like, oh, Pastor John, he opens that Bible. He's talking about Ezekiel. I read Ezekiel. I'm confused by the third chapter. Just a little caveat. So am I. It's a freaky book. But you know, when I'm reading it, and it's like reading the phone book, because it's often like that, I gotta, I gotta make a choice. So either there's something wrong with God's word. You know where I'm going. Or there's something wrong with me. Now, I don't know about you, but I reckon God's word is infallible. There's nothing wrong with God's word. So if I read his word and it's like reading the phone book, there's nothing wrong with God. So therefore there must be something wrong. So then I begin to press into him. And grab two more cups of coffee. Just giving you a little side note. Get my mind, well, I'm looking at that Bible and I'm like, God, give me life from your word. Speak to me from your word. I'm not letting go until you bless me. You, you might, this, this word might drag me across the floor in the dust, but I'm Jacob. This book doesn't leave my hand until it's brought blessing into my life. I've opened it, and I've come in through the north gate, but there's only one way I'm leaving, God, and that's by the south gate. I need to be changed by this. I needed to speak into my life. Because there's nothing wrong with God, so there must be something wrong with me. You know, one of the things I love about our church is the way that our people receive the Word. It's not just because I'm your pastor. In fact, I don't think it's got anything to do with it. But this church has got something about it. Everybody who preaches here, from wherever they come in the world, want to come back here. And it's not about the size of our congregation. It's about something else. But you know, when I sit in a church service, 
I could sit there in the praise, and if I'm not careful, I'm thinking, don't like the song, not my tempo, not my style. Music's too loud, drums are too soft, whatever. You got, don't like that person's voice. And in the middle of it all, you can be looking at all the stuff that's there and saying, well, I'm not getting anything out of the praise. Well, I'm not getting anything out of the worship. How was the message today? Well, it was okay, but I didn't really, I didn't really get anything out of it. Now listen, either something wrong with our praise of God, our worship of God, our preaching of God, or if there's nothing wrong with that, maybe there's something wrong with me. So maybe my attitude to my devotions needs to be my attitude to my Sunday church attendance saying, man, I'm not waiting for the preacher to wow me. I'm not sitting back for the worship and the sound and everything to just woo me. I'm sitting there going, if I'm not getting anything out of it, there's nothing wrong with God, so there must be something wrong with me. So I'm going to draw closer to God. I'm going to begin to pray to Him, seek after Him, cry out to Him, because there's nothing wrong Somebody give the Lord some praise in this place this morning. We cannot leave the way we came in. The band are going to come and join me. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Joseph and Mary to raise Jesus? By the way, after Jesus, they had other sons and daughters. So Jesus was conceived of immaculate conception, but then after Jesus, they got busy because that's an important part of every marriage. Getting busy. And they produced James, who wrote a book in the Bible, the brother of Jesus. They produced other kids, and you know, then they've got a busy carpentry company, got stuff going on. And they live in one part of a country and at the age of 12, they have to move that family to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. It's their camping trip. They arrive in Jerusalem. They enter the temple. The Bible says they offer up their sacrifices. They come to the place of worship. But at the end of the day, they're thinking about the kids thinking about where's little Jesus going. They've got stuff. They're tired. Maybe they're carrying a little nursing baby. Minds are busy. Stuff going on. And Jesus, by this stage, He realizes who He is. So the Bible says that in the middle of their worship, one person just jumps out of the family's movement. And for an entire day, they keep going, not knowing. They came to the house of worship, all the stuff in their minds, kids into programs and car parks, vomit up the princess dress, go through the whole deal, get home, travel for an entire day away from a busy city and realize that they left without Jesus. See, when you come to worship, you have to leave with something of God. 
And it's not whether God's there, it's whether you are aware that God is there. So at the end of that, they come back to Jerusalem and the Scripture says for three days, they're searching high and low to find Jesus. And they come back to the place of worship. See, I reckon this morning that all over this building, God is wanting to call some people back, back to the point of worship. See, because this is what I do know. There have been moments in people's lives where they've known they've been changed by God. But ask yourself the question, when did it last happen? Because if it hasn't happened for a while, maybe you need to come back, not to the geographical place, but to the place in your heart where you last knew that Jesus was with you when you were being changed by Him. And they came back into the temple. And the Bible says that now they enter the temple with a searching heart. God says in the book of Ezekiel, if you come in through the south gate, start scanning for the north gate. Start looking for something. How can this environment change me? How can God speak into my life today? How can I, what, what's happening in the praise? Could that change me? What's happening in the worship? Could that minister to me? Could the offering speak to me? Could the notices, I don't know, you know, could the word bring life to me? But something, something, and Joseph and Mary had gone through the whole deal not looking, not expecting, not waiting, but they come back to the temple with one thing on their minds. We've entered here, but we can't leave the same way we came in. We came as two, but we're gonna leave with three. We need Jesus with us when we leave this place. I need hope with me when I walk out the door. I need healing in my body when I get to, I need faith in my heart. I need courage in my spirit. I need love in my marriage. I need peace in the storm. I need Jesus with me. I came in by the north gate, but I'm leaving by the south gate. Come on, somebody in this room, begin to give praise to our God and declare, I'm not leaving the way I came. I'm not leaving the way I came. I'm not leaving the way I came. Oh, we give you praise, Jesus.